0: We are doing a brand new series today called Disciple Shift, and um, in this series, we're just going to be talking a lot about discipleship, and you'll hear more about it, but um, with it being the, the brand new year, one thing that everyone does at a brand new year is do New Year's resolutions. How many of you guys actually make New Year's resolutions by a show of hands? Wow, not a lot of you, or not a lot of people that like raising their hands, one of the two. So... Okay, so um, I normally don't do New Year's resolutions, like, technically, but I actually kind of, so here's how, okay, here's how I do it, okay, just so you guys are clear. Um, I don't like to lose in things, like, I'm very competitive, Um, so if I say something, I like to follow through with it, but I keep making New Year's resolutions and not following through, so now I don't make a resolution, and I think of something I want to do better (laughs) throughout the year, and uh, it doesn't, thank you, everyone give Rob a round of applause. Thank you, buddy. (laughs) I speak in front of people consistently a lot of times. I'm never nervous. I was never more nervous than I was walking behind the screen. Like, I, I was like, oh, I don't want to see me do that. Anyways, um, so uh, New Year's resolutions, um, I don't really make them because I don't want to lose in them, so I think of things that I wanted to be better at throughout the year and try to do those. And throughout, what I thought would be fun to do to start with it being the brand new year is go over the top 10 New Year's resolutions, top 10 New Year's resolutions, um, and you'll probably be able to guess a lot of them. So here they are. Number 10 is this. Read more. Any of you ever had that new By show of hands, when I say them, if you've had that new resolution, raise your hand. Read more. Anyone ever have that resolution? I did last year. I had That was my resolution without making a resolution. And um, I did read more, but I didn't read as much as I wanted to. Um, so uh, read more. That's one of them. Uh, next one is number nine. Travel more. Travel more. Any of you guys ever have that one, travel more? See, I need more money in order to travel more, so... I've never had it because I'm like, I don't have the money to do it. So, um, number eight, spend more time with family and friends. Any of you have that one? Any of you ever have ones like, I want to spend less time with my family and more time with my friends. Okay, hey, you're my family. Okay. Number seven, number seven, quit smoking. Uh, okay, you don't have to raise your hands if you don't want to, but um, I've had, I haven't ever had to quit smoking, but I've had to quit some bad habits. I quit drinking soda like a year and a half ago. Um, I was drinking Mountain Dew every single day for a long time because it's delicious. It's candy, but um, I stopped drinking it and i actually been pretty good with that. Number six. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Number six, save more money or spend less money. Yep, some people, okay. Um, Normally, save more money goes with spending less money. It normally kind of goes hand in hand. I would love to save more money and spend less, but um, I hate making dinner at home. So that's my issue. I eat a lot out. Okay, number five live life to the fullest. This was on every list I found It said this. This is a stupid news resolution, I think. Because anyone, yeah. Yeah, I lived life to the fullest last year, I guess. Like, that's, anyways. Um, and if, I mean, unless you've had it. I don't want to make funny if you have had that one. But I think it's a silly one. Yikes. Okay, next one. Number four. Learn a new skill or hobby. I know people that learn how to do, like, woodworking or stuff, something like that. Any of you ever had a, that one? I'm going to change. No, nobody. No one wants to be mentioned. Okay. Number three. It's when we're starting to get to the familiar. Get organized. That's obviously one for me. I need to do that this year, actually. My desk is a mess, and my wife hates it. Um, So get organized. And then number two, we're starting to get to the ones everyone knows. Lose weight. Like, I would like to lose some weight. You know what I mean? So, and then number one, the way you lose weight is you exercise more. So that's number one. So that's always mine, exercise more, because I exercise about once every three months. So I think I need to do better than that. And I think, I probably can. I bet I can do twice every three months. It probably won't be that hard. So news resolution, what do you think is the percentage that people actually follow through in the news resolution? Yell it out if you, just give me a guess, any guess. Someone said it, I think, Steve, 8% is the number. 8% of people actually complete their news resolution and stick with it, 8%, which seems about right. 8% seems about right to me, 8% is about right. But there's something about a, a new year and there's something about, especially a new decade in 2020, that just brings out things that we want to change or we want to, review, we want to look at differently. We want to look at a different point of view. It just kind of changes it for us, for at least for me, where it brings out this new idea of doing something new. And as your, as your pastor, I, I've been wrestling with not only something new for me in my own life, but in this church going into 2020, into a new decade, what is it that God wants us to look at differently? What is it that God wants us to do differently? What is that? What is it that God wants us to focus on or refresh ourselves on or change our focus on when it comes to 2020? And here is what I believe the answer is. It's discipleship. I think that God wants us to be better disciples. I don't think it's just this church. I think that should be every church's mindset that we should be better disciples. We should be better at discipleship. And that's something that I've been trying to do in my own personal life, and I think as a church that we should be doing. And here's our definition for disciple. um, And if you have your notes, you can write this down as well. Here's the definition. It'll be up on the screen. A A disciple is someone that is becoming a lifelong learner of Jesus and helping others become a lifelong learner of Jesus. So a disciple is someone that personally you are trying to learn more about Jesus because you'll we'll never get to a point where we reach the end. You're going to become a lifelong learner of him, that you're going to try to look more like him and grow with him. But that's just one part of being a disciple. I think for a lot of us, we think that's the main part, but that's only one part. We also should be helping other people look more like Jesus, become lifelong learners of him. I believe for everyone in the room that would say that you are a follower of Jesus, for all of you that, that confess to that, I believe that most of you, if not all of you, want to be a better disciple. Like, I'm not saying anything radical here. Like, most of you would say, yeah, that's I want to be a better learner of Jesus. Yeah, I want to I do that. And we all have great intentions. But even though Jesus commands it of us, and we all want to do it, we're not all doing it. There's a gap there. And I'm not sure why we have that gap. Jesus commands it. In Matthew chapter 28, Um, Verse 18 through 20, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus commanded that his disciples not only be a disciple, but disciple other people. He commanded it. It wasn't a suggestion like, hey, as long as you're an extrovert, then go do this. Hey, as long as you're really good with people, you should do this. No, he says, you need to learn more about me and tell everyone else so that they can also learn more about me. That's what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. And personally, I have been challenged over the past year to get better at this, to be more intentional about this. Because here's, I'm just going to tell you from my own heart, and you might be able to relate to this or not. Um, But I've been in church world for as long as I can remember. Um, I've been been working in ministry for over 10 years. Before then, I was a small group leader um, at youth group. I would help lead adult small groups. I was a youth pastor for a while, became a family pastor, and now I'm the lead pastor here. I've been in church for a long time. And in those time periods, I felt like I was discipling people, but I wasn't really sure. Like, I thought I was, and I probably was. But I didn't have any ways to measure whether I actually was or not. Because for me, I, I don't want to come across as pushy about anything, except for my love for the Ravens. The only thing I'll come across is pushy. But it comes to anything else, I, 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 I don't want to be pushy when it comes to, like, my faith. I don't want people to see, man, oh, that's, he's just so pushy. And for me, um, because of that fear of being too pushy, which is an acceptance issue and um, an insecurity issue about about me, at times, I find myself not pushing it at all, even as a pastor. And for me, when someone asks me, hey, what do you do for a living, I hate that question because I know it's going to happen. I'm going to tell them, well, I'm a pastor, and one of two things normally happens, like 80% of the time when a stranger asks me, hey, what do you do for a living, one of two things happens. First, they apologize. I'm so sorry that I said that word, or I talked about this. Almost every time, like, you don't have to apologize. So I know when I say it, like, I'm getting my hair cut, and the person's like, so what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Oh, you are? Oh, well, um, I go to church sometimes. Like, they, like, try to justify it. Like, I'm, like, telling God right after I leave, hey, I found someone. So they always apologize, <laughs> number one. Or number two, which happens more than the first one, number two, they just run. And that happens all the time. We had a neighbor that, we had two neighbors that lived like four hours down from us and we were playing outside. Um, I don't know if some of you were here for our neighboring series. We were trying to be extra outside and talk to people about our neighbors, especially people we didn't know. And this couple was walking by. They just moved into the neighborhood. We had our kids playing out there. They're walking their dog and we started talking. And we had a good conversation. Um, It was 10 or 15 minutes of us talking, which is a long time, and talking to someone you, you just met. We're asking, so what do you do for a living? Oh, and asking questions about that. And then the question came up. So what do you do for a living? And I knew what was going to happen. I said, okay, here it goes. It's like, uh, I'm actually a pastor. And no joke, here's what they did. They went, oh, that's cool. We're going to go. And we haven't seen them since. That was a year ago. They ran from us. And now we seem like, hey, how's it going? Because I don't know why. That happens all the time. But because of that, for a while, no joke, for a while, when someone asked me that question, I thought of it as like, an obstacle to get around, like a hindrance for me. Like, oh, here comes this question that's going to make people awkward. I hate that. But out, over time, and I've had people challenge me on this and pastors challenge me on this, um, I'm not looking at it as a hindrance anymore. I look at it as an opportunity, as an opportunity for, I have a very easy opportunity. When someone asks, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor, and I can start talking about church. It's very easy. It flows right in. I, that, it's, a, it's not just a hindrance, it's an opportunity. And if you're like me, you want to disciple but you don't always know how to do it. Like, you had the intentions, but you just don't know where to even start, where to even begin. So what we're gonna be doing throughout this series, and what we're gonna be doing, actually, um, for the rest of this year, is we're going to be making it as easy as possible for you to learn how to be a better disciple and how to make disciples. This series, we're going to be talking about that throughout this series. We're going to be picking this up. We've planned out our series for the rest of the year, and it's going to be working around the fact that we want to make more disciples this year. We're going to have a small group we're going to start in February that's going to be very intentional and practical on how you can make disciples. We want it to be as easy as possible for you that say, I want to be better at this, to be better at this. But the first thing we have to do, number one, the first thing we have to do before we move forward, before we start making disciples, is we have to be a disciple. Because you can't preach something you're not actually living. So today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about how do I look more like a disciple? What does a disciple look like? If I want to follow closer to Jesus and I want to be a lifelong learner of his so I can help other people become lifelong learners of his, what, do I, what are the steps I need to do? So we're going to talk about four things, four, four ways that, you're, that a disciple looks, four things that a disciple does. Number one is this. Follow his teachings. Follow his teachings. Our goal is to follow his teachings. Um, my, uh, my dad's here somewhere floating around. Um, he, was, he probably greeted you when you walked in, uh, especially if you had kids. Uh, that's my dad. And um, I didn't notice this. Um, actually, my uncle Steve called this out. On Christmas Eve, I don't know if any of you were here. Um, I was talking about my dad. I meant to say my dad and my father-in-law, and I said my dad and my stepdad, and I rolled right through that. So he's not my stepdad, by the way. He is my real dad, okay? I don't have a stepdad. So I didn't notice till afterwards, and she was like, hey, you said stepdad. I was like, I did? Oh, no. So anyways, my dad probably, okay, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. My dad taught me um, a lot of things when I was a kid. He taught me a lot of things. Um, here's some of the lessons that he taught me as a kid that I still think about today. Um, in baseball, if any of you guys played baseball, he always taught me to keep my glove down in baseball, you do that, you want to keep your glove down. Um, you know, a lot of times kids get scared it's going to pop up in the face. He said, no, keep your glove down. Make sure you don't do that. He always taught me that. I mean, he told me if it hit your hands, you got to catch it. I don't know if you ever heard that rule. Um, I still tell that to people. If someone throws a ball at you and hits your hands, you need to catch it. It's your fault if you drop it. Um, my dad would give me female advice sometimes. Like if uh, I just had gotten broken up with with a girl, which happened too much. When, when a girl about to, just broke up with me, I would be sad. I would talk to my dad about it, and he would give me advice. And he would always say, you know, they used to call me Lance Romance back in the day. I was like, why Lance Romance? Why Lance? Because He said, well, because Lance rhymes with romance. That's why they call me that. And my mom says, no one call him Lance Romance. He's making that up. <laughs> and here is the thing that he told me all the time that I still tell my kids that I still live by, that I still think about constantly. And he might have, he maybe he's even told you this too. Uh, He tells me this all the time when I was a kid and I still think about it. Don't be an idiot. That was the biggest thing he he taught me. Hey, Eric, don't be an idiot. Come on, don't be an idiot. And here's what he means by that. He says, what you're doing, you're not thinking it through. So don't be an idiot. Think about what you're about to do before you do it. So still to this day, at times I'm like, Eric, I'm being an idiot right now. Don't be an idiot. So he's taught me a lot of things in my life. And because of what he has taught me, I am now able to teach other people. Because of what my dad taught me and what my mom taught me and what some of my teachers taught me and my pastors and other adults in my life, because of everything that they taught me, I am now able to teach other people. If you want to be a better disciple, you need to first follow his teachings. You need to first understand what he is trying to teach us. In Matthew 10, verse 24 to 25, Jesus defines what a disciple is. So the disciple is not above his master nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. See, the word disciple, it literally means in the Greek, it means learner or student. So that's why we should be a lifelong learner of Jesus, because that's what a disciple is. They're constantly learning. And the word disciple, it implies discipline. We should have discipline as we try to follow our master's teachings. Not only is a disciple one who is a learner or student, but it's one who follows someone else's teachings. In the early church, the word Christian, um, when it was first used, was not used to compliment a group of people that followed this movement called The Way. It was used as a derogatory term to, to make fun of people. And the reason why they said Christian is because what they were saying is, you all you are are people that just try to be like Christ. That's all you're trying to be. You're, you're just, all you do is imitate Christ. And I think that would be a great way for the rest of the world to look at us. And all these Christians do, they just keep trying to be like Jesus all the time. But that's not what they normally think about when they think about us, right? They think about, oh, they're just judgmental, they're hypocritical, where we should be more like imitators of Christ, and the way we do that is by following his teachings. So the question I want to ask you is, are you willing to follow his teachings? Now, I know we all will say yes, but think in your life, are you actually willing to follow what Jesus is teaching us to follow? Because a lot of us say yes to the easy things, but then when it comes to the hard things, think about those things that you struggle with that you know you shouldn't. And for some of us, we have those things that we just say, well, I'm just, that's just, what's going to be? It's, it's my life now. Now, do we actually follow his teachings? When Jesus says, hey, you should read your word consistently, and we talk about how you should read your word consistently and pray consistently, are you actually going to follow his teachings? Or are you going to say, yeah, I want to follow his teachings, and then you never apply it? See, for me personally, following his teachings, especially when it comes to daily reading my word and daily spending time with him, it's hard for me sometimes. Sometimes I just run out of time. And to be honest, sometimes I just don't have the energy or I just don't want to spend time. That's just for me. If that's for me, I know that's for you. But we are called to follow his teachings. When I find myself every once in a while not reading, reading his word, not praying, like, it doesn't affect me too much. But one time leads to two times, two times leads to three times. Before you know it, it can go a long period. And then, all of a sudden, the rest of my life is being affected. And this week I even saw that, and this will lead us to number two. Number two, we need to love others. I find for me, I have a lot of trouble loving others when I'm not following his teachings. Like the less I follow and the less I spend time with him and the less that I pray with him for, uh, and I spend time in his word, the less time I do that, the harder it is for me to love other people. And you've heard us talk about this. You've heard us say that how oh, we should love others. If you've been here for a while, we are called to love others. As followers of Jesus, we should have a radical love that the rest of the world looks at and is attracted to that love that we have for other people. That's what Jesus calls us to do. But when we aren't following his teachings, it's really hard to love other people. Like I said, this week, I had trouble kind of keeping up with the, with my spending time with God and just making that a priority. And then this week, and I'm and I'm gonna tell you a story that I'm not trying to be funny. Um, I'm actually kind of embarrassed about this story. Um, my I have three kids, Brooklyn, Savannah, and Noah. Brooklyn, for this week, for some reason, has been really having trouble eating at dinner. Like, most of my kids always have trouble, except for Savannah, she eats everything, but all my other kids just, like, have trouble eating, and um, we got her green peppers, because there's only two vegetables, she likes green peppers and carrots, and praise God, she likes two of them, Um, so we got her, her green peppers, and I gave it to her two days in a row, which I didn't know was gonna be an issue, and it was, and so she was eating, and my, Brooklyn takes forever to eat, and it will frustrate me. And I was having a bad day. I wasn't spending time with God. I was being a lot, my anger was coming out a lot easier. I was being short with, with all my kids and my wife. I just, I just feel it. It wasn't, it was just a bad day. And then we got to the point where I was like, you know what, Brooklyn, all you have to eat is two of them. Just eat two. At this point, all the kids are done eating. They're all taking the bath. I'm doing the dishes and she's just barely eating it. It's taking her a half hour to eat two green peppers. And she just, no, I don't like it. There's this on it. Just getting upset. And, I'm, and I just feel myself boiling over. Like God's testing my patience and I'm failing. And I'm literally like, Brooklyn, you have to eat. Brooklyn, you have to eat those. And before you know it, I get so angry, I take a green pepper and I throw it across the room. That's how angry I was. Yeah. You know, I, I can just think about Brooklyn being older, thinking about that time where, man, my dad got so angry. He chucked a green pepper across the room. Like I was so mad. It's like, fine, don't eat it. I threw it. And right afterwards, I felt guilty, but not that guilty. I was like, I feel bad about it. I shouldn't have done that, but she should have eaten a green pepper. She needs to listen to her father. And then after a little bit of time, my anger, when it settled down, I was embarrassed that I did that in front of my daughter. She started booing and crying immediately because she knew how angry I was. And then I had to go to her, humbly, someone that was not doing what she was supposed to do, and apologize for what I did. Here's, Here's what happens. When I don't follow, this is for me personally. Maybe it's not you. It's just me, Maybe. When I am spending less time with God, I have less patience for other people. And if I treat my daughter, who I love more than anybody but Erica in this room, if I treat her that way, imagine how hard it is for me to love the person that's taking forever at the self-checkout aisle, or the person that's going super slow on the road, or my friend that hurts me. Imagine how hard it can be to love those people if the person I would die for, I get mad because she won't eat a green pepper. Like, think about that. We are called to love other people in a radical way. Disciples love others. John 13, verse 34, 35 says, a new command I give you. Here's Jesus talking. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A disciple loves. How does a disciple love? The way Jesus loves us. And we hear that and we go, yeah, Jesus loves us. But let's really think about that. Think about the worst thing you've ever done in your life. I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. Just think about it. We all have it. That thing that we're the most embarrassed about, the thing that, that we hate, maybe it's a seasonal life that we just, all about us, that, that, whatever that is, think about that thing. That thing killed Jesus. We all have it. If it was just me who had it, he would have still died. That thing killed Jesus, but Jesus still looks at you and says, I love you so much. I'm going to take the penalty that you should have for what you did, and I'm going to take it up with me. That's the love Jesus has for us. And, and we are called to love the way that Jesus loves us. And by the way we love Jesus, we love other people, everyone will look at us and go, that's a disciple. Not by your church attendance, not by your Bible reading plans, not by your prayer life, by the way you love other people, is how other people will look at you and go, Man, that's a disciple. That's what identifies you, the way you love others. You are called to love people. And what I've learned is that for a lot of us, it's harder for me to love other people when I'm also not trying to love him. So when I start to focus on how I can love him more, it's a little easier for me to love other people. Number two, a disciple, we love they love others. And number three, we bear fruit. Disciple also bears fruit. Um, I've already said this, and I'm going to say it um, for the next four weeks. Um, I'm a Ravens fan. You guys already know that. And get over it if you're sick of it. I'm not going to stop talking about it until we end the Super Bowl. Best thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, but being a Ravens fan with a team that's really good, here's what I keep finding. I keep finding people that aren't really Ravens fans that are now conveniently Ravens fans. And that drives me nuts. I hate that, because you weren't there two years ago when we made make the playoffs. Where were you then? Like, all you people are posting stuff now. It's like, oh, I love the Ravens. Like, you don't really love the Ravens. So here's what I used to do as a student, and this is what I still do to this day, because I get bitter about this, is when people say, oh, yeah, I'm a Ravens fan, I always say, okay, how many, did you watch a game last week? Nah, how many games do you watch this week? Eh, I, didn't watch, I, I didn't watch a lot this year. i watched a couple. It's okay. That's red flag number one. Okay, if you don't watch any games, okay, we'll see that. A lot of times, okay, what, what players do you know? I know Lamar Jackson. Okay, name besides Lamar, name me five Ravens. Uh, Ray Lewis, he's not on the team anymore. Like, that's what happens. I see that a lot. And then number three, here's how I know if you're an actual fan of this team. You stick around no matter what. When Billy Cundiff missed that field goal in the, against the Patriots years ago, you were there, and you were sad about it, and you stuck, You were there next year. See, so when people tell me they're a Ravens fan, and they don't watch the games, they don't know any of the players, and they leave when it gets harder, I'm like, you're not really a Ravens. You're just conveniently a fan now that we might win the Super Bowl um, this year. That, that's all you are. You're not, bearing, you're not bearing the fruit of a Ravens fan. And same is true for us. How do you know if you're a disciple? By your fruit. That's how we know, by the fruit that you bear. Here's, here's what it says in John chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus says it this way, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. And you say, well, what, what fruit are we supposed to be showing? Paul tells us that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, by, by the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control well, Eric, I never miss church. Awesome. How are you when it comes to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Because I'm glad you don't miss church, but you should be showing the fruit. Yeah, Eric, but I've been, I, I my resolution was to read the Bible every day last year. I read the Bible every day last year. Great. I'm glad you did that. How about your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? How are you showing that? Yeah, but Eric, I, I only listen to Christian music and I don't watch any movies rated PG-13 or higher, or any shows that are great. That's good. That's good. What about your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? That's the fruit that we are supposed to bear. And by the fruit, we are identified. By that fruit. Listen, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. There's nothing wrong with, do to church Sicily. I actually think you should. Nothing wrong with reading your Bible and praying every day. I actually think you should. There's nothing wrong with being careful of what, and being careful of what you watch and editing things. I think you should do that. I think all these things you should do. But we don't do that in order to be better at that. We do that so that our fruit will grow. We are identified by the fruit that we show. That's why we do those things. None of those things are bad. See, here's what I've been learning. God doesn't care as much about what you say as he does about what you show, about the fruit that you show. And we don't do it so that we can earn our way to heaven. Don't get me wrong. But the fruit that we show identifies who we are. Your fruit defines you. You can say you're a great spouse, but if you don't show that you're a great spouse, you're not a great spouse. You can say, oh, I want to be a great spouse, but if you don't treat your spouse correctly, if you you boss them around, if you're mean to them, if you don't show love and you don't, the love that they need, then you're not a great spouse. I don't care what you say. You're shown by your fruit, or your fruit say. You can say you're a great parent, but if you work late constantly, if when you get home, like, they got to deal, I'm going to do my thing and you deal with your thing, if, if that's you and you, it's all about you still as a parent and you don't put them first, then you can say you're a great parent, but I don't care, you're not, because your fruit's not showing it. You can say you're a great friend, I, I'm a great friend, but if you constantly talk about your friends behind their back, if you constantly are doing things and, and being selfish when it comes to your friendships, you can say you're a great friend, but you're not a great friend because your fruit doesn't show it. I don't care what you say, it's your fruit. You can have all the intentions in the world. Intentions are great, but if you have intentions, don't live it out. It doesn't matter. We define you by your fruit. We did a whole series on this um, in September called Roots. And for a lot of us, we think we are a good follower of Jesus, but we don't show any of the fruit. It's like us having a peach tree and calling it an apple tree. Like, no, it's an apple tree. Yeah, but that's not what the fruit says. Fruit says it's a peach tree. It's a peach tree. It's a peach tree. We should be showing the fruit. We should be bearing fruit in our life. Your goal isn't to look at the fruits and go, okay, uh, love is, I need to show more love, so I'm going to just try to to work on my love, or "Uh, I'm I'm lacking in joy, so I'm going to try to work more on joy. That's not the goal. That's not how you produce fruit. You know how you produce fruit? You follow him as close as you can, and what's going to happen is you're going to start to love easier. You're going to start to have joy more. You're going to be faithful. The fruit will come when you work on your relationship with him, when you become a lifelong learner of him. It's just natural. You don't have to focus on the necessary fruits. You focus on learning more and falling more in love with the Savior of the world. And when you do that, your fruit will show because your fruit is what identifies you. You need to bear fruit, number three. And then number four, we need to endure the cost. Here's really why I think a lot of us don't. Enter into discipleship. There's a cost. It's gonna cost you. It's not easy. You're gonna to have to sacrifice for it. And I think we 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 don't like to think that once it gets hard, we're not gonna do it, but that's why a lot of us don't do it. That we're willing to accept and follow Jesus because he gets us into heaven, but when it comes to actually sacrificing to show that he is a priority, we go, well, I don't know about that part. There is a cost involved with being a follower of him. Being a disciple, it's going to teach you not how you can have better self-improvement. If you're here today looking to become a better self, like, I'm glad you are here, but this being a disciple is not going to improve yourself. What it's going to do is going to improve himself in yourself, which is better. There's going to be a cost involved. In fact, here's how Jesus says it. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What, what does this mean? Does this mean Jesus calls us to, no, of course, if you look at the rest of Scripture, we're not called to hate our mother and father. Here's what he's trying to say. In comparison to our love for him, everything else doesn't even look like love because we love him so much. That should be our number one priority is to love our creator so much. Are you still willing to follow God even if it causes conflict in your family? You don't create the conflict. You should be doing everything you can to live at peace. But sometimes you will follow God in a way or you have a faith and your family will understand it. It will create conflict in your family. Are you still willing to to follow God even when it creates that conflict? Are you? Are you willing to follow God even if it means you have to sacrifice things in order to put him first? Like, I have friends that, um, uh, that are, uh, have, not, have nothing to do with Jesus, are, wouldn't consider themselves Christians, and I even have friends that, that are atheists that I've talked to, and they, and somehow we brought up tithing, and they just don't understand it. Why would you give 10% of your money back to a church? It doesn't make any sense. And I can't explain it to them, but as a follower of Jesus, we're called... To put him first in every every situation, right in every area of our life. Are we willing to do that even if it literally costs us something? If we have to sacrifice time and our resources in order to do it, are you willing to follow God even if it means you have to act differently than everybody else? Are you still willing to follow God then? There is a cost. We have to endure the cost. Jesus didn't die so that He could be Lord of your afterlife. He died so that He could be Lord of your afterlife and your life today. And for some of us, we accept Jesus so we can get to heaven. We don't understand. There's a cost involved in being a disciple. It will cost you. If you're following Jesus in a way that isn't costing you anything, you may be a convenient fan of his, but I don't know if you're a disciple. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost. Then some of you are thinking right now, then why in the world would I do it? And if that's your question, I understand that question, but if that's your question, You don't understand the magnitude of your sin. You don't understand what He did for you. You don't. Because if we truly understood what sin does in our life and in this world, if we truly understood the depths of our sin, and if we truly understood that Jesus paid the worst penalty possible for you and for me, we would take the cost. Because He's given us life, He's given us hope that we don't deserve, He's given us grace. So if that's your question, you don't understand the cross. And here's where it all kind of comes down to. Like I said, a disciple is becoming a lifelong learner of Jesus and helping others become a lifelong learner of Jesus. And here's what I know. I believe that many of you want to get better at discipleship. I'm going to actually close with this, Frank, coming up. I believe that many of you want to get better at discipleship. And I believe that a lot of us have those intentions to getting better at that. Especially if you're here and you're following Jesus. If you're if you're here and you're checking things out, I'm just so happy that you're here. But if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, I believe a lot of you want to get better at this. And our excuse has been for a while, I just don't know how. And I'm I'm telling you now, for this, especially this year, we're going to give you the tools that you need in order to get better. We're going to get super practical in this series on how to get better, but it's going to start with a decision that you have to make now. A decision that you know what I don't want to. I don't want to just play church anymore. I just don't want to say I want to be a disciple and not actually disciple anybody. I actually want to move towards that. And I want you to have good intentions. But if all of you have is intentions and that's it, that's not going to be enough. Because here's what I know. For some of you, the I don't know how excuse is now gone. Because we're going to teach you how. So if that's been your excuse, I recommend don't come the next three weeks. Because that excuse is going to be gone. But for some of us, we don't want to pay the cost that it takes to disciple, uh, to be a disciple and to help others disciple. I don't want us to confuse the fact, which I think a lot of us do, including me. I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. I think for a lot of us, we hear a sermon like this and we go, I agree with this. And then we think that's good enough. You know what? I'm, I'm all for that sermon. That was a good sermon. I need to do better at that. You're right. We have, and we leave with the intentions and then we never change. That's not enough. I'm glad you have the intentions. Don't confuse hearing and intentions with doing, which a lot of us do. See, I, I believe that, and the Bible tells us that Satan is the father of lies and deceit. And I believe a lot of us, I, heard, uh, I think I heard Francis Chan talk about this. I believe a lot of us have deceived ourselves in a way where we think we're actually doing something when we're not. That we think because we heard it and we have all the intention in the world that we're doing it. And I believe that for a lot of people at church today and for a lot of churches around here and, and maybe even us, that for some of us, when Satan looks at our lives, he doesn't look and go, oh no, they're in church. He goes, oh good, they're in church. They think they're fine when they're really doing nothing. That's my worry. I heard that this week. That rocked me. Because as your pastor, I didn't read the Bible much this week. It's like, is that me? I don't want to continue to go in 2020 thinking, you know what? Just believing and having good intentions but not doing anything for anyone is good enough. I want us to take that leap, whatever that gap is, of I believe it, I want to do it, I'm going to start doing it. But it starts with that decision. And here's what it really starts with for a lot of us. It starts with one word, repent. And we hear the word repent and we think, oh, like, we think, oh, I need to say I'm sorry. That's not what repent means. Here's what repent means. I'm going this direction. I'm turning around. I'm going in different directions. John preached about repenting. Jesus preached about repenting. I think for a lot of us, 2020, the best way we can start 2020 is repenting. Is repenting and saying, God, I am no longer going this direction. I'm making the decision right now to turn. Whatever that is in my life, I'm turning to a different direction, a new way of thinking, a new, and some of it, it might be you apologizing, saying, God, I've helped cleanse me of this, cleanse me of what I've done. That might be part of it. Some of it might just be, I'm just living a lifestyle I need to turn around. Go a different way. It starts with repentance. I think for a lot of us, if not all of us, the best way we can start 2020 is by repenting. So here's what I what I want to do. I want to give all of you the opportunity to sit here in silence. Frank's gonna play behind. And take this opportunity to repent, to change your perspective. change your direction we're going to teach you we're going to teach you how to be a better disciple we're going to teach you what we've learned and we're going to give you practical steps but it starts with repentance it starts with that change of direction so right now I want to give you this time between you and God whatever it is you need to repent for take this time and repent to him take this time now